So one of the things that we do sometimes is ask our uh, graduates uh, what, their, what their plans are for the future, kind of like the older question of what do you want to be when you grow up. Um, instead of doing that, we decided we're going to all do that together. So on the count of three, what I want you to do is scream out what you want to be when you grow up, if you're a kid or a student, or if you're older than what you wanted to be when you grew up when you were younger. All right, are you guys ready? One, two, three. I didn't hear any of those, but that's okay. So here's the question. How many of you, if you're an adult, ended up being exactly wanted, what you wanted to be when you were, say, in elementary school? Raise your hand. Not very many. One, two, I see but scattered hands here and there. So out of this group, maybe 90% of the adults who had an idea of what they wanted to be when they grew up ended up being something completely different. For me, I uh, thought I was, I wanted to be a baseball player when I was younger and realized that's not going to happen. I'm a little short for that. Uh, Then I decided I wanted to uh, go into pre-med and be a doctor, and then God called me into the ministry when I was like my, in my third year of college. So for me, I've had about three or four different changes in courses, uh, turns and twists. And then also, I ended up uh, planning on going to Furman University, and halfway through the summer before I started at Furman, I had a friend talk me into rooming with him at South Carolina. So I went to South Carolina, I was there for a year, and then I transferred to Erskine College. So I've had three or four different schools as well in my life that I thought I was going to. You know, all that to say is you never know where your life is going to take you and what you're going to be. My nine-year-old daughter, she wants to be an artist So she'll probably be living with us the rest of her life, right? Um, My five-year-old, she wants to be a hair girl, a hairstylist, and she's really got down to talking to anyone at any time about nothing and everything all at the same time. So I think she'll do pretty well there. My three-year-old, he just wants to be one of the Wiggles. I don't know why. And then my two-year-old wants to be whatever my three-year-old is. And so that's kind of where my kids are right now as they're thinking to the future of uh, who they're going to be. But the reality that I want to talk with you guys about this morning as I think towards the graduates and thinking about preparing them for the future is this truth that most of us know but we seem to forget sometimes. It's the truth that who we are is much more important than what we do. That we can take many different paths in life, we can choose many different careers, we can do a lot of different things in our life, but what's most important in our life is being the people that God has created us to be. The who, not the what. So this morning my goal is really talking about sharing, I want to share a framework for you because we're going to look at the story of Jesus when he goes into the wilderness and we're going to look at how Jesus became the person that God wanted him to be. And all of us have different wildernesses in our life. We have different things that go on, different turns along the path. And we need to know who God wants us to be. And we need to have the strength and the ability to stand up for who God wants us to be, no matter what we are doing in our life. So I want to give this framework. Maybe it's just reminding you of this framework because it's so incredibly important in being who God wants you to be and protecting yourself from becoming someone that God never intended you to be. So here's the framework right here. It's this idea that there's always a greater reality than what's right in front of you. There's always a greater reality than what's right in front of you. And I want to use this, this table here as an illustration. Because what the Bible presents to us is, is a truth that there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than what we see right in front of us. And so you could use this tablecloth and say that this tablecloth is, is what is seen, right? 
So if I were to put this tablecloth over this, this table here, <clears throat> you can no longer see the table. And so you look at this, what is seen is a tablecloth. And if we had no other context, we would think this is just a tablecloth hovering in space just right there. But we know, right, that there's a greater reality than just this tablecloth. That there is actually underneath this tablecloth a support system. There's a table that undergirds everything, that supports everything, that makes this tablecloth effective as a tablecloth. If there was no table underneath, there was no greater reality, then this tablecloth wouldn't work as a place to put things on. So in our lives, there's, there's, there's the surface. There's the things we see, but also in our life, there's the underneath that's supporting us, that's undergirding us, that's giving us the power to do and to live out the things that God wants us to live in our life. So some of the surface things, I'm going to bring a couple things out. One of them is, is this uh, bread. So our food could be something that, we, that was very surfacey in our life. Another thing is, is possessions, right? Uh, material things, kind of like this phone. Another thing is maybe um, accolades or um, success in life, you know, things that, that go well in our life represented by this trophy. And so all of these things are things that are, that are on the surface, that we see, that we look at other people and we can recognize immediately. And yet, behind all this, there's a greater reality. There's something in every one of our lives underneath that is supporting us, that is really keeping things going, that is really where it all happens. These are things like our Heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us. Things like a reigning Savior who came and died on the cross, rose again, sits at the right hand of God, and is interceding for us. Things like the comforting and guiding Holy Spirit who the Bible teaches is living inside of us, empowering us daily to live our lives for God's glory. But there's also some bad things underneath. Because the reality is there's an enemy, isn't there? The devil, Satan, and he's underneath, and he's, he's working things. He's changing things up here up on the surface, trying to get us to fall into temptations and trying to get us to not be the people who God has designed us and wants us to be. And it's so hard as followers of Jesus because the reality is 95% of our society focuses in on what's on top of the table, right? So you watch TV, you listen to the news, you talk to someone maybe who's not a believer, and everything is focused right here on the top. And yet as followers of Jesus, we're required, we're asked, we're, we're expected to understand a greater reality that's underneath and live out that greater reality and really flip the numbers. Instead of focusing 95% on what's up here, God calls us to focus 95% on what's underneath, to work on that, to focus on that, to make that the object of our lives. And yet society focuses so much up here. And so how do, we, how do we do this as believers, as followers, graduates? As you're graduating from college, kids and students, as you're getting older, adults, as we're you know, going through life on a daily basis, many wildernesses that we're going to talk about in a few minutes, how do we function in this, this two sets of reality here, the greater reality, but then the surface things that so much of our life is focused on? And think about this. What if, what if this table was wobbly? It is a little bit wobbly. What if this table was wobbly? Like sometimes our lives are a little bit wobbly, right? Like what if I saw this table and it was wobbly and I decided to fix this table um, by rearranging the stuff on the surface? 
by maybe polishing the trophies and cleaning up these things and maybe getting a new, brand new, upgraded iPhone or, or whatever it may be. And I, and I move these things around to try and to, to get this table to work better and to be more effective. It's just not going to work, is it? Because the problem is underneath. The problem is in, is in the greater reality, and there is no rearranging all of the things on the surface of our lives to fix something that is broken underneath. And so what we're going to do this morning as we look into this is we're going to look at the story of Jesus when he was, when he was led into the wilderness, and he, he comes face to face with Satan. And Satan tempts him in all these different ways. And what Satan does is he comes and he, he tempts Jesus with all these surfacey things. And he kind of says, Jesus, why don't you, why don't you take, take this bread? Why don't, you, why don't you get this? Why don't you do that? And there's these surface things that Satan is tempting Jesus with, trying to get him to not be who God wanted him to be. But Jesus was smarter than that, and he knew that underneath there was a greater reality. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Luke 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to that. If you have your apps, you can pull it up. It's also going to be on this screen. Luke 4, verse 1 is where we're going to start. And this is what it says. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. So Jesus left the Jordan. The Jordan is where Jesus was baptized. It was the, the mark of the beginning of Jesus' ministry where he was going to go and proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick and to, um, to cast out demons and to perform miracles. Ultimately, it was this path after the Jordan where Jesus was going to take on the role of who God had always intended him to be. So here in this wilderness that Jesus is going into, there's really only two options. He was going to be tempted by Satan. He had the option of being who God intended him to be or forsaking all of that and becoming someone that God never intended him to be. So the wilderness is the place where Satan tempted Jesus to give up who God had wanted him to be so that he could be someone that he wanted to be or, or, or fall into a trap of being someone other than who God wanted him to be. Same thing with us. Like that's, that's why I'll take our wilderness. As you're thinking through this and think about your wilderness, your wilderness is the place that Satan is attacking you, trying to make you who God doesn't want you to be. And we have the same choice in those areas of our life to follow in the footsteps of Jesus or to follow in the footsteps and give in to Satan. So here's the thing. If this is a reality, that, that, that this greater reality exists, that there is this, this undergirding, supporting system that's within that we don't see on the, um, on the outside, but it's really, really there. If that is true, then we should see that here in Jesus' life. And the truth is we do, because check this out. This is what it's, I mean, Luke adds this. He didn't have to add this, but he added it. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and went into the wilderness. But he didn't just say he went into the wilderness. He was led by the Spirit. So why does, Pete, why does Luke add these details? It's because Luke wanted us to know that Jesus was led by the greater reality that was within him. That Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God in our lives. And so it empowers us. It guides us to truth. And Jesus was so full of that, as we'll see, that he wins this battle against Satan. And we can too. Luke 4, verse 2, He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. <clears throat> Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live 
on bread alone. And Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy, the Old Testament, the word of God, when he said that to him. So first, right off the bat, when, when Jesus is being tempt, uh, tested in the wilderness, tempted, uh, Satan comes to him and, and tests him with, with bread, right? Tempts him with bread. And at first you look at bread and you're like, what's the big deal with bread? Bread's not bad, right? Bread's not amor- uh, mor- uh, immoral. Bread's not, not, you know, a sinful thing. It's just bread. It's amoral. It has no good or bad. It could be good. It could be bad. And so the bread itself wasn't the thing that was such a big deal in this temptation. The bread was the surface, right? The bread was the thing that was up here. There was a greater reality that Satan was tempting Jesus with, that Satan tempts every single one of us with, something that if we give into, we fail to become ultimately who God wants us to be and it's this Satan was saying meet your needs and I put needs in quotation marks for a reason because Satan has a way of convincing us that what we want is really something that we need doesn't he like how many times do we pretend like we need something in our life when it's really just something that we want and so Satan was tempting Jesus with this idea of instantly gratifying myself with something that I want so that I won't trust in God to provide what I need. You see that? Satan was saying, hey, this is what you want. Go and get it. Don't, you don't need to trust in God to provide what you need. Just get what you want to. Tempting us to turn our, you know, daily turn our stones into bread so that we can provide for ourselves instead of trusting God to provide what we need. And I don't know if you've ever gotten to this trap of of instant and delayed gratification. I did one time when I was in college, so this can be a warning to all you graduates. One time I was, I was, was, I think it was my senior year, and I was really hungry. And I wanted some food, and I looked in the fridge, and all we had were chicken breasts. And that was it. Like, uh, I guess they were frozen, I can't really remember, but, um, and I wasn't much of a cook. I really didn't know, like we had a cafeteria that I went to all the time. But I was hungry right now, and I wanted to eat. So what did I do? I grabbed that chicken breast, I stuck it in the microwave, and I cooked that thing, nuked it up, right? And I watched it, and I was like, this, I was just watching, I was like, this isn't exact, this doesn't look right. There's something wrong with this chicken, cooking this chicken breast in their microwave. And um, so I pulled it out, and like, the, the outside was really like, just tough, yeah? And I cut it open, and it was still like pink in the middle, so I stuck it back in the microwave, and I microwave some more some more and some more and so finally the entire chicken was cooked all the way through and I got it out and I took a bite of it and it tasted like paper it was nasty it was the worst thing I ever had in my life you can't microwave a chicken breast can you unless you do it really slow but I was trying to instantly gratify myself when really probably lunch was only an hour away and I didn't really need it but it's just a spirit or a, a physical, a surfacey example of the idea that we can't microwave our lives. We can't microwave the character that God wants in us. We can't microwave our faith that God asks us to trust him to meet our needs and not just try to fulfill all of our wants. So this is what Jesus said to Satan. Jesus said, you can't, Jesus said, God said, don't live on bread alone. And if you finish that verse where it crum, comes from, it says, but we live on everything that God's word provides. And so what Jesus was saying to Satan when he, when he came against him, said, no, that's not the way it works, Satan. God's word is always over my wants. God always provides over the things that I want. And so I will choose to trust in God's word over my wants. So here's the second thing that, that Satan does to Jesus. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. 
And he said to him, I will give you all of their authority and splendor. So everything that exists, it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus turns to Satan and says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Quoting again the Old Testament. So now Satan comes home and says, hey, there's a lot of good stuff in the world. There's a lot of fun things to enjoy. There's a lot of uh, really enjoyable things that you can have if you just bow down and worship me, and I'll give all of it to you. He was tempting him with materialism, wasn't he? He was tempting him with giving him things in his life that would fulfill him more than his heavenly father. It's the old idol worship that has been around since the beginning of time. Because idol worship is this idea of saying, hey, whatever you have in your life, that will fulfill you more than the heavenly father who lives and dwells within you. And so Satan, what he was saying is, is this. He was saying, fulfill your desires no matter what the cost. Let your desires rule your life. Let your desires direct your life. You can get so much in this world that will fulfill you that you don't even need a heavenly father or a God to be there for you. But what Jesus says is very different. Jesus says, there is no God like my God. What Jesus says is, you know what? There is nothing on this earth that can satisfy me like the heavenly Father who is living within me. And what Jesus was saying, to the extent that I follow in the footsteps that God has for me, that I become who God wants for me, to that extent I will be fully satisfied in my life and have a life overflowing with joy. But to the extent that I follow and try to just fulfill my own desires and do my own thing and try to fill the holes in my life with stuff of this world, to that extent I'm going to be miserable. And so Jesus says, no, Satan. You're not going to trick me with this because there is no God like my God. There is nothing in this world that can satisfy me like my heavenly father. And I don't know you, but but this is probably my biggest idol right here. And that's why I chose to use this because I'll find myself, uh, I have four kids. And so we'll go up in the playroom and they'll be wanting to play. And I'll find myself just grabbing my phone and I have nothing to do on my phone. Like there's no pressing need or anything. I'll just be sitting there looking at my phone, you know, browsing different social medias or whatever it is, and my kids are all jumping around playing. They want me to play with them, and I'll kind of talk to them every once in a while to make them think that I'm playing with them, but instead I'm over here, you know, just doing different things on here. And so it becomes an idol because what God wants for me in that moment is to be a man of God who loves his kid, who, kids, who, who follows and who just loves them and cares for them and is there for them. Like that is who God wants me to become, and I forsake that for the idol of maybe pleasure or information or you know social knowledge whatever it may be and so we all do this we fall into the same trap of satan trying to fill ourselves with things that we want that we think are going to fulfill us when really god is the only one that can here's the last thing so so what happens is satan realizes maybe those those two things didn't work jesus is 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 powerful he's over those and so what he does is he comes and he tempts jesus in the best way he knows how with something that we all struggle with something that we all deal with and this is what happens the devil led him to jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple if you are the son of god he says throw yourself down from here then check out what satan does he, he quotes scripture He quotes a psalm. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So think about what Satan was doing there. Satan said, hey, Jesus, how about this? 
You know Jerusalem. Jerusalem is like the center of all Jewish life. It's where everyone is, the most populous area. It's where this entire religion is, and faith is going to get started. It's huge. Why don't we go there? Let's go to the temple. Now, the temple is the greatest building and the greatest place there is in Jerusalem. Everybody gathers around the temple. So let's go to the place where everyone is going to be. Hey, Jesus, why don't you go up to the top point on that temple so everyone can look up, everyone can see you, and hey, this is what I want you to do, Jesus. Just jump off, and the angels will, will grab you, and they'll, they'll carry you down, and it'll just be like this huge moment where people will realize that you're the king of the world, that you are the son of God, that you are everything, and people will bow down, and they'll worship you, and there will be no doubt about who you are, that you are divine, and you are God. That's what Satan is saying to Jesus. What is he really saying? He's saying, hey, Jesus, why don't, you, why don't you feed your ego, no matter what the cost, right? Why don't you pump yourself up? Why don't you take this into your own hands and make it all about you? But this is what Jesus says. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, he's quoting from the Old Testament. So what is Satan saying? He's saying, hey, feed your ego. Fame self-worship anyone anyone struggle with self-worship anyone struggle with wanting it to be all about you anybody struggle with trying to gain a lot of surfacey accolades and admirations and a lot of stuff all about you here in this world and you'll do whatever it takes to get it up here on the surface without regard to what might be going on underneath because you're working so hard to get the fame and that Satan tempts us as well with every single, or every single one of us with this. Tempts us to not be who God wants us to be by feeding our own ego, by worshiping ourselves, by making it all about us. And then what does Jesus say back to him? This is what I think Jesus says. He says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. But why does Jesus say that? Because Jesus knows something. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's led by the Spirit. He realizes his life's path and where it's heading. He knows that God has sent him to this earth to die a sinner's death for our sins so that he can be raised again, so that he can save humanity from their sin. So what he knows is, you know what, I am not, it's not in my hands to bring glory to myself. It's not in my hands to worship myself and cause everyone here on this earth, up here on the surface, to just, just bow down before me. That might come in the future, but right now what I am here to do is to sacrificially give my life as a ransom for everyone in the world. And God, that is your plan. God, that is who you made me to be. And so God, I am going to fulfill that. I'm not going to feed my ego. I'm going to show you glory. And what he's also thinking is, you know what? That is the best thing I can do for everyone. More good. That is the best thing I can do for this world. That it's not about me. It's about giving my life over for everyone else. And so he's saying, more God, more good, and less me. Do you ever struggle with this? I struggle with this. I struggle with, you know, knowing what the right thing is to do. Knowing what's good. Knowing what is good for another person. And yet, because it's not the best thing for me, I choose not to do it. I struggle with trying to decide, is this convenient for me? If it's not convenient for me, I'm just not going to do it. It might be good for someone else. It might be something that God gets the glory for, but it's really not convenient for me, so I just, I just don't want to do it. That's self-worship, right? It's something that, that you have to go out of your way that's inconvenient, and yet God, you know God is calling you to do that, and it's going to be something that is great for another person. It's self-worship 
when we choose ourselves over God's mission for our life. And that's one of the things that Satan, um, he tempts all of us with. He tempts us on the surface, this idea of, hey, just, you should be comfortable today. Hey, you deserve a day off. Hey, you deserve to just be, in, don't be inconvenienced today. You know, that's on the surface. But what's going on underneath is, hey, you're choosing yourself over God. So those three areas, you know, uh, instant gratification, wants that we act like our needs, and uh, possessions, idol worship, trying to fill our lives with things that really won't fulfill us, and, and fame, self-worship, glorifying ourselves, taking care more of our comfort over the comfort and help, helping other people. These three things are areas that Satan tempts us in all the time. And all three of these can cause us to not become who God wants us to be. Because God wants us to focus in on what's going on underneath, to be so close to him and love him that, hey, you know what, Satan, I see these temptations, but I know there's something greater in my life. I know there's something much more important. And so Jesus withstands all three of these temptations. He says, nope, 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 I'm about something much greater, a greater reality than just these things you're tempting me with. And so this is what happens in Luke 4, 13, right at the end, when the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So the devil, he gave up for a while where he said, there's no, there's no getting through this. There's no tempting uh, Jesus. There's no getting Jesus to give in to my temptations. So here's what I realize as I kind of I close out uh, this morning is that there's something Satan is doing here. If you realized when, when it, it really the rubber met the road and Satan had one last chance to tempt Jesus, there's one thing that Satan did that he didn't do the other two times. It was that he quoted scripture. He took God's words and he turned them back on Jesus and he said to Jesus, hey, God said this, so you should worship yourself. You should glorify yourself. You should go for the fame in your life and feed your ego. You know, it's the same thing that Satan did in the garden with Adam and Eve. You know, Jesus said, do not eat from this tree or you surely will die. Satan came to Adam and Eve and said, did God say you should not eat from this tree or you'll die? And, and they were like, uh, yes, he said not eat from this tree. And Satan said, you shall surely not die. That's what he said right back to him. He took God's words, he mimicked his father's voice and tried to get them to buy in to lies. That's what Satan does. Satan loves to mimic our heavenly father's voice. And so how do we, how do we, how do we take this, this paradigm, this, this framework, where there's all of these surface things, there's this greater reality underneath, Satan's under there trying to convince us to partake in all of these things that seem good, seem fun, but we know they're not really exactly what God wants for us. How do we, how do, we do this? Here's what Jesus did, and I think this is the same way that we can accomplish this. It's that Jesus knew his father's voice. Jesus knew his father's voice. How did Jesus know his father's voice? Well, you go back and you realize every time Satan tempted him with one of these surfacey things, he realized what was going on in the greater reality underneath, and he quoted God's word right back to Satan. So Jesus knew his father's voice through the word of God, through scripture, through the Bible. Not only that, as we read right at the beginning, he was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was led by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus also knew his Father's voice through daily time with God in which the Holy Spirit filled him and empowered him to live a life that was glorifying to Jesus. 
So Jesus was able to withstand the temptations of Satan. Jesus was able to withstand the things in his life that were tempting him to do things that would derail everything he was supposed to be by spending time with God daily, by reading the word, by knowing scripture, by communing with him and knowing God so well and being so close to God that he could distinguish between the, the lies of Satan mimicking the father's voice and the truth of God's voice in the word. You know, the greatest thing about, about Jesus in this story is that, you know, he wasn't just an example of how we can overcome Satan and the temptations and how we can become who God wanted us to be. The greatest thing about this story is, is Jesus succeeded. Jesus won this battle. Jesus overcame every sin that Satan threw at Jesus, every temptation. He was able to overcome it. And because of that, he was able to live a sinless life. And because he was able to live a sinless life, he was able to die on the cross for our sins so that we can have the exact same access to God, the Heavenly Father, that he did. So you can say, oh yeah, of course Jesus could do that. You know, he was, he was God. He was the Son of God. You know, he had a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit in his life. And the cool thing is Jesus died for us so that we could have that same access. So we can know the Father's voice in the same way that Jesus knew the Father's voice. So that we can discern between the lies of Satan and the reality of God's truth. So that we can recognize when these surfacey things are getting in the way of what's going on underneath in our life. So that we can get rid of the things up here that are causing us to falter down here. And so as I close out this morning, I want to leave you guys with two questions as we close out. Graduates, this is a great question to be thinking about in your life because you are um, about to really choose who you're going to be in your life. You're really going to bring in some new temptations in your life. You're really going into a new wilderness right now. And adults, we never escape different wildernesses, do we? They're always there. There's always different areas of our life where Satan is tempting us to do things that we know will lead us away from God and not towards God. <clears throat> so the questions are, are what, is, what is your wilderness in your own life, personally? Think about the places in your life that you are tempted to do things you know would lead you away from God, but you're so focused on those things, you feel like maybe they're going to fulfill you, like a possession, or they feel, you feel like it's just something I need when maybe it's just a want, or it's going to bring you a lot, of, a lot of glory and a lot of fame and a lot of you know, accolades yourself, and so instead I'm going to do that. But you know if you do it, you're going to fall further away from God. What is your wilderness? And ask yourself the question, whose voice are you listening to there? Because there's two voices. There's the voice of Satan who mimics the voice of our Heavenly Father. And then there's the Heavenly Father who loves you and cares for you and wants what's best for you. So I'm going to pray for us this, uh, this morning and uh, we're going to end in a time of worship. And we're going to worship to just say, Jesus, we trust you. We trust you. We trust your voice. We don't trust the voice of the enemy. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that, that when you uh, created humanity and brought us here on this earth, you didn't just just leave us here alone by ourselves. God, you didn't just send Jesus as an example to show us how to live and then just say, good luck. No, you sent Jesus as an example, but you also sent Jesus as a sacrifice. You sent Jesus to sacrifice his life for us so that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, so that we can be empowered by your presence day in and day out. God, we're so quick to forget about the greater reality of our connection with you, our relationship with you, and focus just like this world does on all of the surfacey things. 
But God, you care deeply about who we are to become, to become more like you, to become followers of Jesus who love other people. So I pray that we would care more about who we are than just what we do. And I pray these things in your son's name. Amen.